Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of No Rain Date, your local news and information podcast. I'm Josh Popachak, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with the headlines for the week ending October 1st, 2021. The big story, or the most read story on Sock and Source this week, has been a crime story, but not a typical one. I'm not sure that I've had another story like this, certainly not in the recent past. This one came to us by way of the Lower Saucon Township Police Department and their Crime Watch site, which is a great resource. I highly recommend that you subscribe to their notifications. If you're a local resident, you can get email updates from them, and they're not just about arrests or warrants, but sometimes they're public safety announcements, such as Lehigh will be hosting graduation this weekend. Expect heavy traffic at these times and police officers will be you know, stationed at these traffic lights to control the flow of traffic, things like that. So it really is, is good to know and, and good to subscribe to, to that resource, Crime Watch. And you can just Google it and find it that way. Google Crime Watch and Lower Saucon Police. Getting back to the story I mentioned, this came from a local country club, Steel Club, which has a restaurant, The Beam Yard, and it's a great restaurant. I've dined there many times myself. You only have to be a dining member to eat there, and there's no fee for that. So basically what that entails is filling out a one-page form and providing a credit card number, and then you're a dining member. And you don't have to spend a certain amount every month. Some other memberships require that, but with the regular dining membership, there is no minimum spend per month. So I think it's great. And, of course, they have a bar there, too. Great food on the menu. That must have been what attracted this so far unidentified couple to the restaurant. Back at the beginning of September, they dined there. And for whatever reason, at that point, they did not provide a membership number, although they were requested to. They were approached in the parking lot as they were leaving and apparently refused to provide a number or be, you know become dining members on the spot and left so they walked out on a roughly $75 bill that doesn't happen very often at places like Steel Club and what i thought was interesting too was that in the comments on that story rather than the act itself walking out on a bill and stiffing a local business which we all want to support there was a lot of talk about the procedures in place at the club for identifying memberships and asking for member numbers upon seating a party. You know, why wasn't this done? And to me, that sort of is like, you know, blaming the victim in a way. I mean, there are a number of reasons why it may not have been done. Maybe forgetfulness or just, you know, they gave them the form 
to fill out and they hadn't done that by the end of the meal and then they left. Perhaps they thought they recognized the people and that they were already members, uh, but it turned out that they weren't. I know that I've eaten there and not had to provide a member number immediately or you know before eating. So that line of questioning I found a little bit odd, but at any rate, we certainly sympathize with Steel Club and the fact that somebody tried to do that isn't right. I think anybody that owns a business understands that many of us have had issues with being paid at at different times. It goes with the territory, but you do expect to be paid for services rendered. And if you have to involve the police, you have to involve the police. And that was what happened in this case. And I don't know if they have gotten any leads as a result of this story. Certainly it was shared many, many times, like well over a hundred times the last time I checked. So whoever they are, if they're local, I would imagine somebody knows who they are. And the photos are pretty clear. Somebody compared the couple to TV actors who starred on the sitcom ALF. And I I thought that was pretty amusing because uh, I do notice a resemblance to Raquel and I forget the husband's name, but I was an ALF fan back in the day. But I digress. Our second story to discuss is also crime related. And this one is from Richland Township in Upper Bucks. The Richland Township Police, who are also on Crime Watch, shared a post this week about a burglary that occurred at a methadone clinic on Route 309. This health center is located near Taco Bell and across the street from Lowe's. It's sort of a nondescript building. I've driven by it dozens of times and did not know it was there, but I suppose clinics of that nature are typically nondescript. This burglary happened in the afternoon and the police did share surveillance photos from it. It appears to me that it was a man, but it's difficult to tell because the person was wearing a mask and had a hood up and the photos looked like they were taken in a darkened room. So the quality isn't the best. But again, we have those as part of the story and we're encouraging our readers to share it and look at the photos, see if you identify or can identify the person in them. Yet another sort of crime of opportunity type story, which is also from Lower Saucon, involved a gas can theft that occurred on Skibo Road. There was a landscaping trailer parked along the side of the road and apparently it had two containers filled with gas in the back of it. And somebody driving along saw those containers, stopped, just took them and put them in their car and kept going. We do have a photo of the car that police said was involved. There is no photo of the actual person, although they said it was a white male who appeared to be in his late teens or early 20s. And that story was also published this week, I was curious to know if there's any type of uptick in gas, gasoline thefts, such as drive-offs at filling stations, or crimes of this nature where somebody sees filled gas containers and you know thinks, well, gas is 350 a gallon, practically right now. That's worth you know 
how much and just grabs them and, and flees. So I'm going to look into that and see if I can find any other recent or relatively current incidents of that nature. Gas has been well over $3 a gallon for at least the past six months, and it doesn't show any signs of going down. Certainly various things in the coming months will likely impact the price one way or another, but it does not typically decline a lot before the holidays. The fuel type has to be switched over from the summer blend to the winter blend as the weather gets colder. But things like storms, and we're still not out of hurricane season, can also disrupt production. There are many factors that influence the price. So we're keeping an eye on gas prices, of course. We're consumers too, and I know many people are uh, feeling pain at the pumps with their budgets due to the fact that gas has remained so high for quite a long period now. In happier news, we reported on Saucon Valley High School's homecoming court. The 12 members of the court were named earlier this week, and we were at the school to meet them and photograph them. We have a story about the entire court, and we are also profiling the individual members of the court in separate articles on Saucon Source. So each article is about a young man and a young woman who are members of the court. There are six boys and six girls, and the homecoming king will be crowned on October 7th, that's Thursday, when the community pep rally and bonfire are held at the school district stadium. That will begin at 7 p.m. We'll have a photographer there, of course, to cover all the excitement. And then we'll be covering the homecoming game on Friday, October 8th. That's when the homecoming queen will be crowned. Saucon Valley will be playing their rival Southern Lehigh at 7.05 p.m. And this game is going to be broadcast live on RCN, I believe it is. So even if you can't make it to the game, you'll be able to watch it on local cable television. Of course, before they play the Spartans, Saucon Valley will do battle against the Bangor area Slaters, and Reef is going to be previewing that game for you in this episode. But getting back to the members of the homecoming court, I was really impressed to see the list of accomplishments that each student has shared. You know, the word overachiever, I don't think does these seniors justice because Many of them have lengthy lists of extracurricular activities that they have partaken in. One of them, James Townsend, has been a writer for Sock and Source. He's been our student reporter for almost the past year, and we really appreciate his enthusiasm for journalism. We only wish he had more time for it because he's clearly a busy young man. In their profiles, all of the students also shared their future plans. And, of course, college is high on the list of priorities for most, if not all of them. We wish them well, and we'll be reporting, of course, on the homecoming king and queen once they are named. It's also now October, obviously, so that means fall fun and Halloween are in full effect. Many Halloween-related events are being planned. And we're going to do our part to help you stay informed about parties and other seasonal events that are happening. Certainly a number of 
restaurants and bars this year are planning costume parties. I don't think last year that was really possible due to COVID restrictions, but this year those restrictions are no longer in place and people obviously want to return to the beloved Halloween traditions that generations have enjoyed. So Johnny is going to be working on some content about where to go to have Halloween fun and of course fall fun and not only that but also where to find Halloween supplies and costumes because for me this is a perennial issue you know there are these pop-up Halloween stores throughout the area but they're not always easy to find online because they're temporary so they don't have permanent Google profiles so we're gonna try and help our readers save time by compiling a list of local costume shops, including those temporary pop-up Halloween stores. And I think that'll be quite useful. I know I'm gonna use it because I can never remember where they are in a pinch. And usually I'm in a pinch to get a costume or something like that, because I don't plan very well for Halloween. And uh, <laughs> I'll admit to that. This weekend, a fall event that's happening locally is beginning, and this will be every weekend in October. Harvest Days is being held at Old Stone Farm in Williams Township, and of course, we recently had the owners of Old Stone Farm as our guests here on No Rain Day, Jim and Amy Cuck. We are excited for them. This is the first year they're having a corn maze, and they're also going to have activities for kids. They'll be selling things like corn stalks, pumpkins, mums, I think they're going to have some baked goods for sale. It's a smaller corn maze, so it's suitable for younger children and families. And I know they're going to have some cool photo ops inside the maze. I'm sure outside there will be many photo ops. Their farm is out Robsville Road, sort of in between Hellertown and Easton. If you go the back way via Morgan Hill Road, it's, it's near where Morgan Hill and Robsville Roads intersect. And we have an ad for Harvest Days on SawConSource.com. So if you need more information, just click on the ad. It'll take you right to their website, and you'll find a lot of great information there. Of course, I encourage you to listen to their interview where they explain how the idea for this came about and also what it's like to operate a farm in these challenging, unprecedented times. I thought that was very interesting. And speaking of history, as some of you may know, we regularly write a column called Olden Days on Saucon Source, where we look back at life in the Saucon Valley area 100 years ago or longer ago. And we recently shared a story about Halloween happenings back in 1922. This was from the morning call, October of 1922. And what I thought was interesting was that there was a lot of focus on parades at that time. They talked about parades being held in South Bethlehem, Northampton Heights, which was a neighborhood of South Bethlehem, sort of in between present-day Southside and Hellertown, that was later demolished so Bethlehem Steel could expand. And then a parade was also being held in Hellertown. There was not a lot of detail about the parades, but it was clear that they were being held in the evening, which is different from today. There are still a few towns that hold evening parades, and 
I remember as a uh, middle school marching band member marching in, I think it was the Phillipsburg Halloween Parade, or it might have been Northampton. <laughs> it was a small town in, in the Lehigh Valley, and it was a nighttime parade, and that was pretty unusual. I think Emmaus might still have a nighttime parade, but most of them, like Bethlehem, Hellertown, Coopersburg, Springtown, they're all in the daytime. They're usually on a Sunday. Of course, we're constantly reminding everybody about this year's parade dates. Hellertown's is October 24th at 2 p.m. and Coopersburg's is October 17th at 3 p.m. and Bethlehem's Parade, which we'll be talking about with our guest on this episode of No Rain Date, is October 31st that afternoon, which is Halloween itself. So I think there's going to be a big turnout for this year's parades. And certainly back in the 20s, it sounded like there there was a lot of enthusiasm for parades on Halloween. Trick-or-treat had not become a thing really yet at that point, and I looked into that. I did a little research. Trick-or-treat began to become more popular in the 1930s, and according to the article I read, this was because of the number of pranks being pulled on Halloween night, it had become sort of a mischief night, and I guess some adults wanted to steer younger children into a, a more passive type of activity and associate that with the holiday. So they came up with the idea of trick-or-treat as more of a family-friendly alternative to uh, pulling pranks. And then trick-or-treat really exploded in the popular consciousness and as part of American culture, really, after World War II, when you have the baby boom in the 1950s, trick-or-treat became huge, and it's just morphed into this season, really, since then. I mean, Halloween season now is basically from Labor Day until the end of October, so you have two months of Halloween, Halloween, pumpkin spice, Halloween, and I'm not complaining about that. <laughs> That's certainly one of my favorite times of year, but that was interesting to note that, that the history of Halloween is relatively recent in some ways. And I, I hope to explore that in some future Olden Days columns. Just a reminder, the Hellertown Post Office is accepting candy donations for their candy refill station that they hold every year when the Saucon Valley Spirit Parade is being held. So you can purchase some bags of candy, drop them off at the post office during their regular hours, and then that will be used to help participants in the parade refill their buckets along the parade route because it is a very packed parade route and it's probably almost impossible not to run out of candy if you're doing a lot of throwing by the time you get to the post office and the post office is about the midway along the route. We don't want the kids up in Mountain View to miss out on the candy that the kids on Main Street were showered with. <laughs> so uh, when you get a good deal on candy, just put one bag aside and you know take it to the post office. They'll be accepting donations right up until the day before the parade. So you still have a few weeks. And that's our roundup for this week. We hope you had a great week and we hope you have a great week to come. Thanks for listening.
Hey, Panther fans, Coach Reef coming at you again with another scouting report for the upcoming Friday night football fight between the Saucon Valley Panthers and the Bangor Slaters. The 2-3 and three Panthers hit the road to battle the 3-2 and two Slaters. Kickoff on Friday night is scheduled for 7 p.m. This is an interesting matchup with the Slaters, being unbeaten so far this season, at home, and the Panthers winless on the road. Something has to give. Bangers wins are 35-0 against Palisades, 54-7 against Pottstown, 35-14 against Southern Lehigh. Bangers losses, 35-27 to Blue Mountain, 53-24 to Northwestern Lehigh. Saucon Valley's losses, Notre Dame, 47-20 at Pottsville, 35-7. And ah, the heartbreaker at Wilson, 24-22. Saucon Valley's wins, Salisbury, 31-14 week two. And last week over Blue Mountain, 35-14. Note the common opponent, Saucon Valley, 35-14 over Blue Mountain. Bangor lost to Blue Mountain, 35-27. Certainly not the tell-all metric, of course, as a couple of early turnovers put the Slaters in an early hole at Blue Mountain. So let's talk about Bangor's offense against the Saucon Valley defense. Bangor averages an impressive 35 points per game. Saucon Valley's defense gives up about 27. Based on the stats, Bangor's offense is really a two-man show. First is junior quarterback Eric Striba, who wears number 10. Striba is listed at 6 foot, 185 pounds. He is 34-59 for 427 yards passing with four touchdowns and five interceptions so far this season. He is definitely a dual threat concern as he has run 58 times for 533 yards. That is an average of almost 11 yards per carry. He averages over 100 yards per game and has rushed for six touchdowns so far this season. Through the air or on the ground, Stryba will be getting a lot of attention by the Panther defense. The second man is running back number five, senior Kale Godshock. At 5'9", 165 pounds, he's not the biggest later that will line up, but he is a very good football player. Godshock has run 68 times for 320 yards and seven touchdowns. He grinds out an average of five yards per carry. Both Godshock and Stryber are very slippery runners who can make would-be tacklers miss in space. In addition to this Slater run game, Banger throws a variety of short screen passes to move the sticks. Banger has not shown too much of a throw-the-ball-down-the-field passing attack. That being said, it is Godshock and junior number 30, Ashton Kluska, who lead the Slaters with receptions. Godshock from out of the backfield has nine catches for 101 yards and a touchdown. Kluska, at 6 foot, 180 pounds, has eight grabs for 66 yards and a touchdown. Stryba's other 17 completions are scattered across the stat sheet. The Slater offensive line consists of three juniors and two sophomores. Collectively, they aren't very big, but they're not exactly small as they average an athletic 5'10", 210. Sophomore Dylan Crew, number 60, is the biggest of the bunch at 5'11", 257. What about Bangor's defense against Salkin's offense? The Slaters run a base 5-2-3-3 defense. They'll also get into a 43 defense, sometimes a 34. When they force you into that passing situation, you'll see that three or four man front and drop seven or eight into coverage. Sophomore Greg Campbell is the Slaters' leading tackler so far this season. At 5'11", 145 pounds, he flies up from his free safety position and has collected 34 tackles so far. With 24 tackles, number 22, Dylan Miller, is also among Bangor's leaders. Miller is listed at 6 foot, 208, does his damage from the, his inside linebacker position. According to the stat sheet, number 4, Derek Zamorski, and number 5, Godshock, are also among Bangor's leaders in tackles with 23 and 22 each. Stat sheet aside, number 57, Paul Burkholder jumps out at you on tape. 
Burkholder is a giant defensive tackle measuring 6'7", 230 pounds. He will by far be the tallest tree in the woods out on that field Friday night. Salkin Valley is averaging 22 points per game so far. Seeing that Banger gives up an average of 22 points per game, it seems that the Panthers should score three touchdowns. If that is the case, hopefully the Salkin defense can keep the screws tightened on Strive and company and not let them run wild. It would not be surprising, however, if Salkin Valley puts up a few more points. The Panthers have a healthy stable of talented and skilled playmakers on offense. Among those playmakers are number 12, Dante Mahaffey. He's a senior. This season, he's 42-74 for 677 yards passing. He has a 57% completion percentage. Dante averages about 130 yards passing per game and has six passing touchdowns that are offset by his three interceptions. This season, rushing the ball dual threat Dante has 61 carries for 436 yards. That averages out to seven yards per carry. Mahaffey has crossed into the end zone six times so far this season. He has proven this year to be a tough tackle. Number 21, Damian Garcia is a senior in the backfield too. Garcia is the Panthers' most productive running back. He has 45 carries for 243 yards this season, which is good for 5.4 yards per carry. He has four touchdowns so far this season. Number 11, Ty Sensitz. He's a senior. He's been the Panthers' most productive receiver. Last week, he crossed over the 1,000-yard mark for his career. He has 58 catches, 1,101 yards, and 10 touchdowns. This season, he is 20 for 384. That's a 19.2-yard per catch average. Sensitz has two touchdowns so far this season. Let's hope Sensitz and Mahaffey can hook up again a few times and have another big night. Number three junior Alex Magnata is also on Mahaffey's radar. Being six foot three with great hands certainly helps that. Magnata has 13 catches for 205 yards and three touchdowns. For the third consecutive week, Salkin Valley will rely upon their O-line, including Cody Swinney, Caleb Laudenslager, Caleb Grimm, Greg Cohen, and Jack Maruchak to protect Mahaffey and give him a little time to throw, as well as creating running lanes for Garcia and the other Panther ball carriers. Owen Frederick, who's injured a couple weeks ago at Wilson, is still on the shelf. This is going to be another great night for some high school football. With a 2-3 and three record, the Panthers are pursuing that break-even game to get their record back to even. But with the Slaters at 3-2 and two and being unbeaten at home so far this season, it will not be a gimme by any stretch. The biggest key as I see it will be the Salkin Valley defense being able to limit the number of big chunk plays by Striba and Godshock. The two are very good runners with the football and don't need a whole lot of space to turn a small gain into a big one. The Panthers will have to tackle well in space. Of course, penalties and turnovers are always the great equalizer, but if the Panthers can play a clean game and tackle well, they should be able to give Bangor their first home defeat. Once again, Salkin Valley appears to have the more talented skilled guys, so barring a shootout due to poor tackling, the Panthers should be favored here. Friday is looking like it'll be a cool night. It'll be dry with temperatures currently forecast in the mid to low 50s throughout the game. Being dry but with a crisp breeze, it should be a great night for some Panther football. Good luck, Panthers. The source is with you. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership 
is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. This week on No Rain Date, I'm thrilled to welcome somebody who is part of the musical heritage of the city of Bethlehem and my alma mater, Liberty High School, Mr. Alan Frank, who is the director of instrumental music at Liberty High School as of June of this year. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for, for having me today. Well, absolutely. As I was saying, when when I read the news over the summer that, that you were taking over for Kevin Long, who was retiring, I absolutely wanted to invite you to the podcast and talk about the band. It was a big part of my life when I was a student at Liberty in the early to mid-90s, and it's just an institution in Bethlehem. It sure uh, is. It's, yeah. you know, part of the fabric and so many events you know if the band isn't there it's like where's the band like (laughs) and i got to experience that like i said i went to england with the band in 94 and just have great memories of it as i know so many people do so many of my fellow alumni we still talk about the band to this day and you know with facebook and youtube there are a lot more ways now to stay connected and enjoy the music Indeed. Indeed. It's sort of timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your background musically and how you began, you know, your study of music and how that ultimately led you to Bethlehem and Liberty. Yeah. Um, So I'm not originally from here. My dad was a um, pastor. So I grew up in Philadelphia until I was eight, but remember coming to the Lehigh Valley quite a bit. My dad would have meetings at the church and uh, stuff like that. So third grade, moved to Ohio, lived in a very small town, maybe an hour south of Cleveland. And that's where kind of the musical growth started. You know, started playing trumpet, uh, was not very good at that. Uh, (laughs) So middle school band director needed a uh, tuba player so i'm like i'll do that and picked up the tuba and it was it was kind of i was born for it really so out of high school joined the marine corps band got lucky to get in the band and served four years so i was in in the quantico marine corps band from 1995 to 1998 left there as sergeant frank 
and moved here to the area because my dad had moved here. So Moravian at that time college in 1998 to 2002 you know, from there, actually toured with a Broadway show for a while, the show mm. Blast, which was like the marching band version of Stomp. Then when I got done touring, and I was like, now what? And uh, I just kept feeling this pull to the classroom. So I went back to school, got my teaching certification, and uh, here I am. So really, you know, it's it just so easy. a very unique, uh, you know, just a, a different way that I kind of got to where I'm at now. But, uh, you know, between the military, between the Broadway touring, you know, tuba was really my, my whole passion. But I think with my dad serving in the church, I kind of learned from a, a very young age what serving others meant. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, teaching was, was my way. It was kind of my life of service and this is I think year 17 now teaching and uh, love it so taught in Jim Thorpe Pleasant Valley I was at Wilson High School for six years and then went to Liberty in 2013 wow fantastic and well tuba tuba's an interesting instrument yeah it is (laughs) not the the flashy you know the trumpet is like sort of like the you know you're right sexy brass instrument yeah people often they're like i never met a professional tuba player before but it got me around the world a couple times and i i love doing it still freelance here in the valley and uh you know still still play as much as possible and uh I love it, but it is kind of. I mean, we're not a large breed of people here. It's a, it's a pretty small small number of Lehigh Valley tuba players. So right, yeah. and you're you're kind of I guess conditioned to be in the background. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it's it's also at the same time tuba lays the foundation, right. and when you know your role, and as an educator, I try to get my students to understand. Like you know, I mean, you've got that second trumpet part, or you've got that tenor sax part that's not the spotlight part right but without it you know we all have a role to play and the band wouldn't sound as it's supposed to sound without all of those parts you you need to fill the chords you need the color and so every instrument you know we need it and to get kids to understand what their role is and to understand that you're not always going to have you know like you said the sexy kind of brass instrument or you know whatever it's uh you just kind of accept it and uh, be be part of the team. So yeah, yeah it's cool. There yeah. was a lot of well, it's a huge band. For, I mean, for those who aren't familiar with the Grenadier Band, when I was in it, I think the membership fluctuated probably between like two thirty and two fifty. That sounds about like right. That. Yeah, yeah. So right now, I mean. Gosh, when I think I started at Liberty, we hit 300, which was big, you know, and there's been kind of a, well, especially with, with COVID and stuff, there's, you know, it's, it's, there's been kind of that number drop, not just here, but every, every program, when you look at every program, even at the middle school level, the high schools here in the area, every band seems to be a little smaller. I mean, we're still hovering right at that 200 number but you know i we, we would like to see that climb a little bit once we get out of this whole covid thing and mm-hmm. uh try to get things back up so that's understandable so, yeah. yeah i mean that, that that would have an impact yeah the band i think it well liberty has always had a band of course but the grenadier band 
dates back to the 60s. 1960s, yeah. And there British was, invasion and all that. Yeah, so, so Ron, Ron Sherry, you know, it was time for some, you know, some uniforms. And, you know, at that point, Ron had a love of what was going on over there in England, the Coldstream Guards. So mm-hmm. uh, that's when he, he said, we're going to adopt this style. And the rest is history. It's kind of taken on... When you look back at the photos and everything, the uniform has slowly gotten to where it is now. We now wear the authentic uniform of the Coldstream Guard, made by the same company that makes the uniforms over there. What? For the, for the I didn't get to wear that. Yeah. So <laughs> as of 2013, actually my first year there, Kevin had established a friendship they came over, fit, fit the kids, and the Cashkit Company, uh, or the Furman, actually, yeah, the Furman Company, makes the uh, tunics and everything for the kids. So uh, that is it's awesome. pretty neat. It's pretty neat. I wore the yeah. polyester version. Yeah, yeah. So we still have those. <laughs> we have a, a closet full of them. So Do they still wear the, um, for head headwear, you have the, real bear skins and then we you do. have replica bear we do skins. have replicas we have about 80 real real bear skins that are getting older now so that some of them need some work but we still have you know we're probably still wearing about 60 to 70 of those and then the rest of the band has the fake ones if you will they're made by a by a uniform place here in the states and so it's not an authentic you know, bearskin hat, but uh, right. still looks pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Well, the bearskins, I remember, I think at the, that time they were like hun- hun- certainly hundreds of dollars. Yes. To buy yeah. I don't even know what the price tag would be now. Right. Yeah. I remember also wearing like a red beret type thing. Yeah, we still wear those. Thing. So as soon as the bearskins <laughs> come off, you know, that goes on and there's always something on the head. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, you guys are out in all kinds of weather, too. I mean, incredible scorching heat in yes. the summer. Sometimes football season, I can remember being at games in December, and it was so cold. Yeah. I mean, and then to try and play an instrument. Uh, yeah, when, when your valves are freezing and you, yeah. can't, and you can't move your fingers, it's, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Our first game this year was, was scorching hot, and those are wool tunics that we wear and let me tell you the kids were sweating quite a bit that night but we let a few buttons go down but we always keep the tunics on it's kind of one of our things we're not going to have the kids walking around the football game with just a you know with just a t-shirt or something so uh it's it's kind of the look that we have and we we make sure we always have that look right i'm curious to know like how much stress or you know how much obviously you know you're part of a a tradition that goes back over 50 years and you are the keeper of that tradition Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways but you also I mean every group has to evolve like you mentioned with the uniforms I mean that was actually an evolution to becoming more authentic Mm -hmm. but I'm sure in some other ways there's pressure to do things differently at times how do you balance that's those a, things? <laughs> that is the million dollar question. I think in, in my first year now, that's a big thing that I'm trying to figure out. First of all, I think just taking over this program, it's a responsibility because of 
folks like you who still talk about your your time in the band. I still talk about when I was in high school. It's important to a lot of people. And to take that job, you have to realize it's not just another job. It is a responsibility to those that have marched and played in the band before. It is a responsibility to the city, to the school district, because it is such an institution. And I think, first of all, that is the first thing to realize. When I first got there, Kevin Long said, we are the custodians of the program. It is our job to keep the program flourishing, to keep that, you know, what people expect, to keep that going. And But then, as you said, there is an, an element of how do you move it forward? How do you put your stamp on it? And I think... That may reveal itself over the first couple years. I think just getting into this year, there are a lot of hurdles we're trying to still deal with, with COVID, with, you know, we just, we did not march at all last year. So this year we had half half of the band that had never marched a field show before. Hmm. So we had to teach them how to march, how to read a drill sheet. Saturday, as I said prior to uh, starting tonight, we marched our first parade since 2019, just this past Saturday. So I think a lot of what this year is kind of showing itself is just getting the band back, getting the band back to a level of being able to function again. Mm-hmm. Because it had been, we played last year, but we didn't get to march. And it was in that hybrid learning style. We only ever had half of the band there at one time. And so it was very hard to be normal. So I think after this year, it's really going to be fun to spread my wings a little bit and see, okay, what what's going to be my trademark what's 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 going to be my stamp but i think more than that it's really just about making sure that i maintain the excellence that people expect of the liberty band and that responsibility and pressure a little bit too but a a very healthy pressure Mm -hmm. and you're something like just the fifth director fifth yes so joe joe recapito started this whole thing Ron Sherry then came in, and then Greg McGill was was, was, was there when you were there, yeah. and then Greg retired in 2013, Kevin Long then took over, and I am now number five. And in a hundred-year history, very few programs on this planet can say that only five people have ever been at the helm of a hundred-year program, which That's is a testament to pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I think that right there, if I don't feel that responsibility just from that alone, then something's wrong with me. So. <laughs> right. And, and we're, we're talking about 100 years. Liberty Centennial is in 2022. Right. So you have the honor of being the director during the centennial, yes. which is going to be quite a celebration. Yes. When you consider the fact that the size of the graduating classes over the years, I mean, there are probably tens of thousands of alumni uh, alive today and I'm looking forward to being part of that I'm I'm sure it will be uh, it'll be an exciting time as far as the commitment that you need from students to be in the band like I remember when I was in it I have no idea how many you know hours 
per year were devoted to band practice and mm-hmm. performances. But, you know, summer band practice, I think it was from like 9 to 12 in the morning. Then you went home for lunch and then it was like another three hours in the afternoon. Yeah. yeah. And that was for like two or three weeks before yeah. school started. And then, yeah. you know, every day you had early morning band practice Absolutely. and then you had you know the games on Friday nights and I mean it was just a huge time commitment and today I think there's more competition for yeah. for everyone's time for time yeah. but including teenagers yes so is it harder do you think to attract them or <laughs> yes and no so since the 90s you know you and I are the same age it seems like because uh, uh, yeah I was class of 1994 you were you were 95 mm-hmm. the schedule hasn't changed <laughs> we're still eight to three for three weeks in the summer and we still come in at 7 a.m you know all of that is still the same <laughs> but I think what's different now is you have to realize and I think that's one of the things that in order to maintain the program, you have to be willing to bend a little bit. You have to be willing to form relationships with coaches, with other faculty, because these kids are, they're busy. They're mm-hmm. extremely busy. I think the pressures on, on kids nowadays, I don't remember having these kinds of pressures when I was a kid. Maybe I was just you know not aware. Maybe I should have spent more time on my studies, but between you know kids having to work, the amount of homework that they have, and then sports. And so I will say this, I I pride myself in the fact that we never make a student choose between band and and something else. Mm -hmm. We'll make it work. And we, I, I think when you look at, on a Friday night this year, we have four football players marching. We've had students literally get to the stadium five minutes before we've stepped off and they're wearing their soccer shorts and and they're out on the field just because they just came from a game. Mm -hmm. And there's also games where we have to realize we're gonna march holes because kids aren't gonna make it back from a tennis match or field hockey. But the biggest thing is we don't ever want a kid to have to choose. And as soon as we, we do that, you know, some kids will choose the band, but some kids will immediately choose sports right and i don't think that's fair so we're going to make sure we keep as many people in as we can and give them the most well-rounded education that we possibly can because i think that's what that's what kids need and music is such an important power that through all the stresses of the academics and the sports and the scouts that music is an escape sometimes. You know, if we can provide that for them and give them a way to release some of that through an artistic way, then great. Yeah. I can remember students being football players and in the band in my time. Yeah. And that blew my mind even back then. Right. You know, right. like, because they were playing in the game and then playing the halftime show. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's. I wasn't that much of an overachiever, <laughs> but but yeah, I think that's wonderful that you've continued that tradition yeah. of allowing them to to do both. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's what's best for the kids, and when you stop doing what's best for the kids, then you're doing something wrong. Yeah, so, yeah. And I would say, being in the Grenadier band, 
is almost like being in a sport yeah. in a way. <laughs> it is. When you look, and I, recently there have been a lot of studies done, and the time commitment, the physical energy that it takes to march a show. Now, we're not a competitive core-style band that's running across the field, but still, it's, it's seven and a half minutes of pure concentration. You know, physical, you, you have to get... The knee lift going. You're you're playing. You're you're moving. There is an athletic element to what we do, and aside from all the mental power that it takes to do what we do, it really is. And the thing about band too, there's no bench. Everybody is a starter. Everybody is varsity band. <laughs> we're not benching somebody on a Friday night. So when we're missing somebody. That's visually noticeable on the field mm-hmm. where, you know, if, if you're not playing well, I can't take you off the field and have you sit the bench till you figure it out. You know, that is the unique thing about band. There's no bench. It's all varsity players who are starting. So, yeah, no, that, that's a good way of, yeah. of looking at it. You also have to rely, I, I would imagine, still on a number of volunteers to help and parents often fill that role right yeah we couldn't do what what we do without you know without the parents we have some volunteer staff members coming in to help the pipes to help the twirlers one of the other unique things about what we do is we are a band of 200 and a staff of two people and that's really hard where other schools you know you have a band of 45 and you're you've got a staff of five or six people and you look at some of these larger bands who are competing on Saturdays they've, they've got 20 staff members that they hire in we've got two Where are those bands? right yeah so but so we do rely on the parents to volunteer their time and they have been great just making sure the kids are fed making sure that they're helping get the uniforms fitted now, I don't know if Mrs. Z was there when you were there, but Ruth Zettelmoyer has been with the band since Zettelmoyer. 1991, and she has been fitting our kids since 1991, and she is one of the most key volunteers and, and, and helpers of the band. She has, yeah. Somebody should do a news story about her. <laughs> yeah, she has been around the band for a long time, so... Yeah, no, the name is definitely familiar, and I bet if I saw her, I would recognize her, because that was when I started in 91. What about fundraising? Like, traditionally, the band had a lot of fundraisers. Parents take care of all that. We're still doing, yeah, hoagies, (laughs) unfortunately, when COVID hit, we haven't been able to do the hoagies. So we're doing things where we we can't have people into the school to... You know, right. be putting sandwiches together. So we had to stop that for the time being. But I've heard stories about hoagie days back in the 90s and, you know, just thousands upon thousands of hoagies being made over the course of a month. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I, I have to confess something. I was never part of a hoagie sale <laughs> because you had to be there at something like 6 a.m. Ridiculously on a early. Yep. And like after, you know, the whole week of school and getting up early, like I just did not want to do that. I get it. I 100% get that. But yeah. there was pressure, like peer pressure though, like, you know, to be part of the hoagie sale. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I fundraised in other ways. There, I mean, there were other fundraisers too besides yeah. that. But a lot of that was to raise money to go to England, which we did in the spring of 94. And the band has been many times Mm -hmm. over the decades and performed in 
prestigious places like Royal yeah, Albert Royal Hall. Royal Albert Hall, yeah. Were you on any of those trips? I have not been. So actually, before I ever started working here, I did go with the band in 2008 to Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And then since I've been at Liberty, we did Pasadena again in 2013. The Rose Parade. Yeah, yeah. We did Florida 2019. We did the Hollywood Christmas Parade and we've done Hawaii Mm -hmm. and then as COVID hit we've had to kind of just wait to see what we can do as far as the traveling. We were going to really start to look at traveling next year and then everything kind of stepped backwards yet you know once again with with the new strain so it's kind of hard right now to plan a trip because you don't know what's going to happen you know we we want to look at options but in my time at Liberty, I would love to see the band get back over to London and right. to do some things there because it has been quite a while. So if and you I want to keep those relationships, I would alive. love. Yes, yeah. So we do have some friendships still still going mm-hmm. between there and Canada. We you know we have some folks. So uh, if we can if we can keep that going or at least build some new friendships, Barry. Uh, I've I've heard no. um, That was the big the big maybe that was orchestra though. Yeah, we had like sort of an exchange with them back back in the day. Yeah, and I know the orchestra used to go to Puerto Rico and things like that. I wasn't invited to that. (laughs) (laughs) So you know, I've I've got some. I think people expect the band to travel and travel big. Right. And so I know that that responsibility is also there. I look forward to that. It's, you know, it's going to be, I don't know if fun is the word to plan a trip of that size, but there are some headaches. But I think at the end of the day, when you can look at the kids and know that they had a, a great time and the Liberty Band was performing well, I, I think that's what, what makes you go, okay, that was a great trip. That was absolutely worth it. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you you are kind of cultural ambassador at that point. I don't think yeah. we realized it. I certainly didn't at the time, but mm-hmm. looking back, I remember playing for, I, I don't remember the venues in England, but, you know, like all these little elderly British people coming yeah. to, like, see us. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, thinking, well, like, why would you want to go see, yeah. like, a bunch of American teenagers play like And actually, from what I understand, when you would march down the street, people wouldn't realize you were an American high school marching band until they were right up on you. Probably um, not. Because, yeah. yeah. And so, I th- <laughs> you know, I think that's pretty neat. And that is one of the things. When, when you wear the Coldstream Guard uniform, when you're looking like a military unit if it weren't for the banner up front saying liberty high school people probably don't realize at first that it's a high school band marching towards you mm-hmm. so, yeah. that's a good point yeah i'll have to go back somewhere i have the album with like 500 photos and yeah. the trip <laughs> and i'll have to go back and look at that though i'm feeling nostalgic but yeah. um, I did want to talk a little bit more about COVID and, and how that has impacted not only the performances, but just the way you practice. And that's partly because of wind instruments yeah. and the potential for them to sort of magnify the exhalation yeah. of the virus. Yes. So a lot of research has, has gone into how musical 
instruments spread the aerosols mm-hmm. is basically what what the studies show and some instruments spread them further things like the tuba honestly went when they would study the tuba it was no different than you and I having a conversation you know without a mask and so some horns there's just not a lot coming out of it and so every instrument is different things like the oboe the trumpet i think because of how much pressure it takes to blow the air through that's naturally going to send the air out further so a lot of studies have have gone into how do we make music safe and so For the last two school years, we've been following the safety plans where every instrument has has a cover on the bell. All of the students are wearing the masks. Spit is collected either on a towel, in a bucket, in a Ziploc bag, and we have to spread out. And I think as long as we follow those things and knock on wood, between last year and now so far five weeks into this school year and all, all of summer, none of the programs in the district have had any COVID spread because of the music. So between the choirs, the bands, we have stayed safe and we have done everything the right way. We have followed the plans, but it has made it challenging. And I think last year, more so than anything, we were in a hybrid schedule where only half of the kids came to school on a Tuesday and a Thursday, the other half came on a, on a Wednesday, Friday. So we never saw the whole band. And mm. you had to have them spread out six, six feet apart. This year it's three feet apart. And I think that's when kids started realizing how important music was to them, when we couldn't do it in school the way we used to do it, and how social music is. And I think that's the biggest piece. Music is a very social thing. Band is a very social thing for these students. And when they were missing half of their friend group because they weren't in school on the same day, it made it hard. And I think the kids really struggled. I have a son who is 15 years old, and he didn't go to high school last year. He he was cyber the whole year. And I saw that from him, how much of a struggle that actually was. And we were able to keep the music going. We were able to do a spring concert. We did a, a combined concert with, with the choir, and we set it up on the football field. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to do an orchestra, choir, and band concert on a football field, but it's pretty tough. (laughs) But we had, I think, 350 total musicians last year, and we just had a huge setup, and we would just bounce back and forth from choir to band to the orchestra. You had to get creative. And I think COVID, if, if anything, made teachers, made everything. You just had to be creative with how to keep doing things. To say we were keeping it normal, would be an absolutely wrong statement because there was no normal to it. I think this year we're starting to feel like things are closer to normal, but we're still having to follow the safety plans. We're still having to, you know, to do that. So when we stepped out on on the football field for the first time and people saw the band march and heard us play, there was an excitement because you could tell the community, the parents, the school, they were hungry to see the kids perform again. And it was honestly an overwhelming and very touching moment to hear the cheers, to hear the crowd just go nuts. And I think that's when the kids finally realized what we do is so important. 
and it's bigger than themselves. It is much bigger than each individual on the field. And I think I, I really try to push that. You are part of something that is bigger than you. People will talk about the Liberty Band now. They will talk about it long after you are you are gone. You are part of the legacy. You are part of this. And I think COVID kind of helped our students realize how important that is. So. That's a that's a great point, and, and that sort of reminded me of the fact that at least when I was at Liberty, I mean, you had a lot of people from the community who would come every Friday night to the football games, and not just for the football, but for absolutely, the band. Absolutely, absolutely. And these were, you know, maybe seniors, maybe their kids had been in the band many decades earlier, or, or maybe they, they hadn't. They just loved the band, they loved hearing them, and I felt like that was kind of unique way to Liberty. Yeah. And it made it special to know that as a band member that you had that support there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's any question, at least now, that that those kids definitely know that some people come out on a Friday night for the band. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as halftime's over, people leave. You know, <laughs> you know when the football team's winning games, they you know they may stay a little longer, but and that, that's that's also I I love the camaraderie and supporting the football team, and you know Friday nights are why I ever wanted to teach in the first place. My experience as as a high school student, I loved Friday night lights, and I mm-hmm. think that draw is what made me want to teach band because it's just such. Uh, Ah, the memories of just going to football games and stuff. Bus so rides. great. Yeah. I mean, now as a grown-up, 45 years old, I'm like, ah, another bus ride. But, I mean, these kids, they're like, yeah, bus ride. I'm like, oh, you, you have your fun. <laughs> yeah. There is always the peanut gallery in the back. Absolutely. Oh, it's, it's still the same. <laughs> it's the same. Yeah. Yeah, I have so many memories, yeah, of, of those times. And I'm I'm glad that, that you're persevering through this you don't really have a choice nope. i guess <laughs> nope. but but at least students are still able to make memories they're different than mm-hmm. they would have been yeah. in another time pre-covid right. but they're still going to cherish some absolutely and i think we're a huge part of of getting through this and just doing what what we do last year we would just we would take the kids around the campus outside the school and just during class, we'd have the kids play some play some pep tunes because we knew the teachers were just longing to hear some music. Mm-hmm. So we would just walk around and bother the teachers during first block and just play some pep tunes while they were trying to teach. And uh, they thanked us every time we did that. They they didn't care that that we were bothering a test. They were just so happy to hear the kids play. So I'm trying to remember all the you know our standard songs that we played waltzing matilda waltzing matilda is still definitely a big favorite like an australian uh, national anthem standard Um, standard of saint george mm -hmm. the cold stream march yes rule of course rule is the big one um and so actually what we did this year is um you know liberty's known to do about six or seven tunes on the parade march and they're not easy tunes And we knew that we had kids coming in that really last year in middle school didn't get a chance to play a whole lot, like hardly at all. So we knew we were going to have to do do some work. So we we backed off on the number of the tunes that, you know, that we're doing this year. And we're just trying to 
slowly incorporate more songs as the season goes on so that maybe by next year our kids now know the full parade sequence they 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 know the tunes but we've also taken the educational angle to it and make sure that they're playing them well and they know how to play them well rather than just here are seven tunes learn them let's go and we don't play them very well so you know COVID has also made us take some steps back and approach things a little differently to make sure our kids are still getting the education that maybe they missed out on last year you know we're playing a lot of catch-up right now but the biggest thing is that we meet the kids where they're at rather than stress them out saying you need to be here nope this is where you're at that's okay we're gonna meet you here and we're gonna help to push you further so and that's how i think the classroom teachers are also seeing things too we can't focus on what they didn't get. We're focusing on where they're at, meeting them there, and then we'll just push them forward and hope that we do our jobs well so that they get as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. In addition to the football games, of course, yeah. you are you do have additional parades coming up. Can you share uh, where... Sure, yeah. So the band will be performing? Yeah, we just did Celtic Classic Saturday. And on October 9th, we will be doing the LHS 100 Walkathon. So we're going to be doing a walkathon at the high school where we're walking for 100, 100 minutes. And the band will be on, on the front steps playing. And then October 31st, the Bethlehem Halloween Parade, which not only is it the Halloween Parade, but it's also celebrating the 100th of the high school the 100th of Nichman Middle School, and the 100th of the Hotel B. So all of those things will be focused on throughout the route. Each each division will have parts that celebrate the 100th of, you know, of the schools and the hotel. So that's going to be a big parade that day because we're going to have floats with 100th things and I think we're trying to get every every elementary school in the district to be part of that all of the wow. middle all That's of like the middle 16. school bands will play yep 16 cool. school yep and then the four four middle school bands will be marching and then of course the two um, you might need a longer the parade two route. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's going to start down like way further down on broad maybe but uh, yeah. so i think that parade itself i think that's going to be a big big deal it's going to be fun and we're hoping always for that nice cool but warm weather at the same time it's like you want you don't want it to be hot but sometimes that late october weather it can be a it can be either really bitter cold or scorching sometimes. but And then this year, the only other parade we're doing, we're only staying local. Uh, we're doing the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Oh, okay. Uh, and so that's, that's going to be it for this year. But we have many little things going on throughout the year. A lot to celebrate the 100th. There, there's a big concert with not the full band, but the alumni band will be there. Some of our students, the Pipers and alumni choir, hmm. there's going to be a big concert happening June 5th. And so for anybody that wants to check out what's happening for the 100th, you can go to the Liberty High School webpage. There should be a link to the 100th. And there's a whole bunch of things happening this year to just celebrate 100 years and those festivities will carry on into next year and it's just a whole year of celebration that's awesome Mm, yeah Yeah, i would definitely encourage our listeners to check out the website whether you're from bethlehem or went to liberty or not these events are going to be a lot of fun and 
Bethlehem Halloween Parade is always a great community event. It is a good one. Yeah. The the hot dogs at the end are good too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they still do. They that, don't. But, I uh, want a hot dog, darn it. We always Come had on. free hot dogs and like birch beer under the bridge. There, you know, I there was talk about that before. Um, Somebody donated a, a yeah. local business, I think, yeah. but I don't remember yeah. who. Well, we need to bring a, that back. Trivia darn. question <laughs> should do a Grenadier Band trivia. Yes, yeah. would be no shortage of of questions. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. I really thank you, and uh, you know, it's just just fun to talk about the band, the kids, and to hear the old stories, and to 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 look forward to the new ones too. So, yeah, I'm so excited for you that, that you. you're part of this epic tradition and wish you all the best thank you um, so much throughout the upcoming year i'm sure we'll probably run into you at some of these special events sure i hope so. want to cover them as an alumni and and just somebody that supports community news uh, i think it's going to be important to, to showcase you know all the positive things that yeah. are happening along with the centennial so yeah good thank you thank you yeah thank you again We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening.